Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Rock and our Redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. It's been a while since I started a sermon with, in Bible study we were talking about, but that's exactly what happened this week. Um, and actually, I'm going to single you out, Jeff, I think it was you who brought this one up. You're going to get a little shout out in our sermon today. Because we were talking about the incarnation, that whole God in human flesh, and how God who created all things, including us, desired to get all the way into our heads, to see things from our point of view, to experience for God's own self what it really means to be human. Perhaps it is fair to say that even for God, it is one thing to know consciously, even to be all-knowing, but it is another thing entirely to understand, to experience from the inside what it is like to discover the world, for instance, through the eyes of a child, what it is to learn about the world through all of the experiences of humanity, and what it is, in essence, to be us. I wonder, we all wondered this week, if God wasn't more than just a little bit startled about how messy the experience actually is. Our faith tells us that Jesus was fully divine. Yes, indeed. See, I'm, I'm, I've got a little bit of Trinity Sunday floating in here. Just a little bit. Our faith tells us that Jesus was fully divine, yes, but that Jesus was also fully human. He wasn't just some celestial being who decided to try out being solid for a while. He wasn't just an angel in a human suit, if you will. But he was really and truly and completely human, with all of the impulses and instincts, the in-group parochialism, the fight-or-flight response, the need for stability and certainty, all of the things that we know intimately to be a part of human nature. And certainly the human Jesus, as he grew, it really helps when my iPad behaves, sorry. Certainly the human Jesus, as he grew, seemed to have a slightly better grasp on the divine side of things than most humans do, and that from a fairly young age. Luke's gospel in particular talks about that one. But there are also aspects of Jesus that can feel to us uncomfortably human, in that they mirror very closely our own lived experience. Things like going through childhood learning about the world and how to live in it, getting into an adulthood that contains that sense of familiarity, at least, with how things work, with what we can expect in the world as it is, and a sense of what our experiences mean in the larger scheme of things. Because we know just as Jesus would have known, the implicit understandings of our culture in terms of gender and race and age, right? We all know what the expectations are. We all know how everything is supposed to shake out, right? We know, as Jesus would have known, what is appropriate and what will get us into trouble. All of the unquestioned expectations that allow us to be a part of society all of the unwritten rules of social interaction in the world as it is. 
And as much as Jesus pushed back on those expectations, as many of us do on a reasonably regular basis, as much as he called those unspoken expectations into question, he was still fully human. And even for Jesus, that means that sometimes things get messy. Because one truth of human experience is that all of those instincts and impulses, the ways of being that we don't even have to think about, they're so familiar to us, so ingrained within us, those are more likely to surface when we are stressed out. If you weren't all muted, I'd say amen, but, you know, we're just going to give me a thumbs up. We all know this is true, right? Like, when we're stressed out, we're not the people we could be, right? All of those instincts and impulses that we keep tamped down as members of a functioning society, those come out when we're stressed or tired or anxious. And I know that I don't have to tell any of you that this time of pandemic has set us all just a teeny tiny bit on edge. Right? Right. We have all had to rethink our daily and our weekly routines. We have all had to expend far more energy and thought about the things that we are used to taking for granted. And as we cope with the prevalent anxiety about the possibility of getting sick, with all that that entails right now, it's not a pleasant prospect. And I suspect, in addition to all of this, that I don't have to tell any one of you that everyone around seems just a little more short-tempered these days. Just a little bit here and there. It's actually a really, really normal thing when everything feels out of control. And when everything we thought we knew gets called into question and we feel like we're struggling to find a footing. These are the moments throughout human history, throughout a human life. These are the moments when our deepest human instinct, our survival mechanisms, rather than our social training, kick into high gear. It is true for us. And it was true for Jesus. A lot of the time, I think we want Jesus to be perfect. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be easier? Because if Jesus is perfect, then there's hope for us. We might be perfect. Because if Jesus was human and perfect, then we could be human and perfect, right? And we all kind of want that. But our gospel tells us time and again that Jesus is just as human as we are. That after touring, for instance, through Galilee and Judea, after gathering a following and feeling like maybe his message was really getting out there, feeling like maybe he was really making a difference with all of the crowds who were following him, feeling like maybe things were finally changing and changing for the better, he got into Jerusalem and he walked into the temple and he found that there, in the center of power, nothing had changed. All of the progress that he had experienced hadn't made it that far. And everything that he had done and taught and said and all of the crowds and all of the build-up, that had just been the beginning. He got to the temple and realized that there was still so much more to do and so much more to teach. He got to the temple and he looked around and in this incredibly human moment of exhaustion and heartbreak and frustration, he had a massive meltdown. 
flipping tables and throwing things and threatening the merchants in the temple with violence. Do you remember that line in the gospel about he made a whip of cords and chased them out with it? Because, you know, if there is one thing that is true about humans, it's that we all have an inner two-year-old just waiting to come out. And the fact that Jesus was no different, that Jesus had a temper tantrum, that Jesus lost his mind when he set foot inside that temple and showed that very imperfection, all of that just feels so tremendously comforting in these moments. That feels more than so much like it is indeed the gospel. Like it is indeed good news. Today's reading lends a similar feeling. I have heard a lot of sermons on the text of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman that suggest that Jesus wasn't really insulting the woman. He wasn't. He, that call, calling a woman a dog, that's a term of endearment. He meant puppy. And everybody loves puppies, right? Because, you know, if I were to call any one of you a puppy, you'd be totally okay with that, right? I have heard a lot of sermons on this text that say that Jesus was just testing the disciples to see how they'd react to all of this. I have heard a lot of sermons on this text that try really hard to make Jesus perfect. But in doing so, they make Jesus way less human. A story in which Jesus uses a woman as a teaching tool. I'm going to back up there. Jesus uses someone. That's not a verb I want associated with Jesus. Thanks much. I'm good there. That, imp that implication in the story makes the whole thing far more cruel because it makes the dehumanization of the woman intentional rather than reactive. And a story which has as its sole takeaway that we are smarter than the disciples since we are in on the joke, that doesn't feel like a gospel message to me. Where is the grace in feeling superior to people who lived 2,000 years ago? But more than that, it's not the story that our Bible hands to us. It's not the story that Mark tells. The gospel writer tells us that Jesus is tired. The needs of the people, the pain of the people, is nearly inescapable. The pushback from the authorities who value their status and their power, their knowledge and certainty over the world as it is, to the point where they refuse Jesus' vision of the world as it could be, that's exhausting. Jesus is tired because it is tiring to bear witness to suffering before people who are comfortable with the world as it is and don't want to risk that comfort on change. Jesus is tired, and so he tries to take a break. He tries to leave to a place where he doesn't have to care about suffering, where he doesn't have to try to convince people to care about each other, where he can just go and dwell in the world as it is for a moment and catch his breath. Jesus is tired, but he cannot get away. For suffering is everywhere, and his reputation precedes him. But here, in this one moment, 
in this disappointment and exhaustion, all of that human instinct, all of the things we try to tamp down, it all just comes bubbling up to the surface. That instinct that tells him to take care of himself first, to take care of his own people first, and he snaps. And he calls the Gentile woman and her daughter dogs. And he tells them that they're not invited to the table. And he tells them that they are a waste of his time. Did you catch all of that in the scripture reading? It wasn't pretty. It's a scene that, in many ways, is every bit as violent as the scene in the temple. But this time, it isn't righteous anger. And this time, Jesus is called on it. Because this woman, who is at home in the region while Jesus is not, is not about to accept his insults, thank you very much. And she stands up in the face of his dehumanizing words and gives him a taste of his own medicine. Because she stands before him as he has stood before the people in authority in his own region and challenges what he thinks he knows about the world. Because for all he has long been an adult and long been the teacher among his people, like all humans, no matter how old, he still has something to learn. And he still has ways that he needs to grow. And in this particular moment, he needs to hear that every dog knows that children are an excellent source of food. All that stuff that they drop from their plates onto the ground, usually on purpose. He needs to hear that most children will not starve for having shared with the dog. And that there is enough food. That there is more than enough food to go around. In this moment, he needs to hear the very thing that he himself has said, not all that long before, right before this particular passage that we heard this morning, in the moment when the disciples were worried that they couldn't feed everyone who had gathered on a Galilean hillside, because all they had were a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. But that little bit of bread and those couple of fish fed thousands with more left over than they had even had to start with. In this moment, he needs the reminder that God's grace and mercy is not like pie. God's grace and God's mercy is not like pie. A bigger slice of for the Syrophoenician woman does not mean less for anyone else. God's grace, God's mercy, all of the things that provide nourishment and sustenance to all of us, these are the things that grow as they are shared, that multiply to meet the need, that surpass all human expectations and understandings. In this moment, Jesus like any one of us, needs to hear that he screwed up. But more than that, Jesus needs to hear that there's still a chance for him to change. A chance for him to do the right thing. To value the humanity of the woman who is toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. And to value her humanity more than his need to be certain or comfortable. To acknowledge that he was wrong. 
to take out his fatigue and his frustration and his anxiety on her. And maybe even to acknowledge that God is always just a little bit bigger than human hearts are prepared to see, even when those human hearts belong to the Son of God. In this moment, Jesus needs to hear that he's screwed up. But more than that, maybe the biggest takeaway here is that Jesus is willing to hear that he screwed up. And that is a far better lesson for the disciples, both then and now. In this moment, the very human Jesus, like so many of us, needs to hear that God's grace is truly for him too. That grace does not expect perfection, but creates within us the space to acknowledge our imperfection and to grow and to change and to do better which makes this story really good news in a deeper and a more powerful sense than any attempt to become perfect. This story reminds us that following Jesus is less about attaining perfection than about being willing to grow and change, to stretch our ideas a little bit more each day about the vision that God has for the world as it could yet be. These are challenging days for us, because from the already shifting and anxious ground of a pandemic, we are now being called to rethink much of what we have long taken for granted, and to see with new eyes the world as it is, the expectations that may have been comfortable for us, but that have done harm to our neighbor. We are being called to witness a vision for what could yet come to be, a new way of being that might feel uncomfortable in its very newness and in its uncertainty, and maybe even in our fear that if others get fed, we might starve. But we are being called to remember that even as things seem to be unraveling all around us, even as it seems so difficult to get a foothold on the shifting sands of this world, we are still inevitably held in the good news of God's grace, which is not like pie, though it is every bit as sweet as it reminds us that being human means we are going to screw up. We are going to get tired and cranky. We are going to say things that we shouldn't, sometimes without realizing it. We are going to give in to our survival instincts from time to time. We are going to be wrong. That's part of being human. But we are also always going to have the chance to learn and to grow, to do better, to love more deeply, to grow in compassion and wisdom, to become more and more the people that God yet still always believes that we can be. The good news of the Incarnation is not that we might become perfect. It is that God remains with us, calling to us when our imperfections show themselves, giving us the space and the courage to hear without defensiveness when we've screwed up, and the grace to strive to do better. The good news is that God understands from personal experience all of the things that pull us out of community, all of the things that pull us away from the kingdom. 
but that God understands as well that we never lose the capacity to come back toward the vision of justice and mercy, of healing and grace, and of all that grows as it is spread wide, showing forth more and more of God's holy presence in our daily lives. The good news is not that we will become like God. The good news is that we don't need to in order to be God's people, the people who strive and grow and learn and change until God's kingdom comes into our world, right here in our very lives. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.